Smartcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Ready to write? Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write, we talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go! Welcome! This is Simply Write with Polly, the podcast where we talk about crafting a writing career and living the writer's life. Today we have an author interview. We're talking about novels and flash fiction how to manage and balance our time between the writing and the rest of our lives, because it's all of it, right? We have to be able to get the writing done. But one of the great benefits for me of uh, having a writing career is living the writer's life, having some flexibility uh, so I can be with our daughter and do some of those family things that I value as well. So how do we balance all that and create both a career and these other things that we want to draw into our lives? We're going to be talking about all that today day with Tara Laskowski. Her debut suspense novel, One Night Gone, won the Agatha Award, the McCavity Award, and the Anthony Award. And if you're new to crime novels, those are the biggies. Her second novel, The Mother Next Door, was called a polished and entertaining read by the New York Times Book Review. And she also writes short story collections. She writes flash fiction. She's been an editor. And her short fiction has also been award-winning taking the Agatha Award and the Thriller Award. Um, Tara, I'm right now reading One Night Gone, so no no spoilers, I haven't finished it, but welcome to Simply Write. Thank you, it's great to be here, thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on and we start each show with the dailies where we talk about what a daily schedule looks like in the life of a writer. For me, that looks like chaos. And I think the listeners are getting used to hearing me say that because just about every week <laughs> there's a day like this where I have a dental cleaning and I have to pick up my daughter early and get her to a track practice. And I have a client meeting right after this, which is another Zoom call. And I also have some writing I want to get done. I'm on the last two chapters of my own thriller novel and I need to get it out. I need to get done with this draft. So what's a daily schedule look like for you? Um, chaos is a very good word. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, yesterday I was totally freaking out about my day. And I said to my husband, Art, I was like, I need to figure out a way to reclaim my days because they just get away from me so quickly. So I totally hear you on that. It's like every day is about 15 different things all competing for your priority. And, you know, they all seem like they're on fire. But um, but I think I learned back when we had our son, which he's 11 now, that if I wasn't going to put writing first or at least like in the top five, <laughs> um, that it was just like not going to happen. And so I have been, I think, fairly good at trying to carve some piece of my day away 
for writing. It doesn't always happen, but I do try. Um, I do try very hard. And it, it it's it's like something that will never be the very first priority for me, I think, unless for some reason I get the chance to write full time without having a job. But but I have to make it a priority because it's something that I want to do and love to do. So you asked about my day. My typical day is I am a full-time editor for an education magazine. I work for a nonprofit. And so um, during the day, full-time, I work. I do get to work from home now, um, but I do edit this magazine. So that's kind of my full-time job. Um, I have a son and, you know, I like to watch TV every once in a while, but uh what I have found is that I cannot write very early in the morning or very late at night. Um, I, for my second novel, I pushed myself very hard and I was working all day from home and then trying to write at night and it actually affected my health. Like I had shoulder problems, neck problems, stress problems. Um, and so I stopped doing that now. And what I have found is if I take time in the middle of the day, like my lunch break, um, and work then for me that works because my energy is still there but I'm taking a break from my full-time job to do this and then at five o'clock or 5 30 or whenever I stop like I'm done and I can walk away from the computer and I could do something with my husband and my son or we could have dinner you know and do all of that stuff so that's kind of what I've been trying to follow now um, that's not to say that that's the only time that I write because I am thinking a lot about my book. I'm always in my head. I'm sure you've heard this before. I have a notes feature on my phone that I'm constantly jotting these random things down so that when I do sit down and write, I'm ready. You know, like I'm like, okay, I've already thought about this scene. So I'm going to punch it out and see what happens. Um, so I am writing in other ways, but you know, generally I try to sit down in the middle of the day to do some stuff. That's a good point though, because writing for me, like you mentioned, doesn't always have to happen on the page. There's a lot of writing work that goes on that spins around in my brain and my day. When I'm, when I'm getting my teeth cleaned today, you know, while I'm waiting in the waiting room or even while I'm, I'm there, there will be things like, how do I solve this problem? How do I work this out? So sometimes when I do get the time to sit back down at the computer or the notepad, however people do it, it's right there ready to come out in some shape or form. But I do think um, if I don't schedule it like, like you do, it, it wouldn't happen since I've had a kid, since I have other work that I need to do to make money and all those things. It has to become a priority. And it's sometimes hard for people to say that when they have children or, or a marriage or other things in their life. But truly, it has to be one of my top two or three or it won't happen. And when it doesn't happen, I don't feel good. Like this is what I do. And this is how I'm in the world. And, and uh, I think that's valuable to, to find a way to schedule that in for me. And I used to really be hard on myself if I didn't get down to put out 500 words or a thousand words or whatever it was. I had to let that go along a ways. But I think it was Art Taylor, your your husband, uh, who mentioned this on our show a couple of weeks ago. He said for him, it's valuable to touch on it some way physically every day. And, and that is true. I find I do better when I can write 
a little bit of the words down because then I'm able to keep my threads easier, especially with a longer yeah. work. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where like my notes feature actually helps me because even if I'm not physically at the keyboard at the moment, if I can write down that like piece of dialogue that's going through my head at the minute, it helps me when I am able to write it to like get into it again. Like if I just like think about it and say, oh, that's a good idea. When I get back to it, I find that I can't quite remember what it was, but if I even have this like snippet of like a sentence or something that I was thinking of, it helps me get back into that rhythm of, oh, that's what I was writing. So I, I would even say that that's, that's sort of a physical touching of it, even if I'm not actually at the keyboard. Um, yeah, I so, agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Definitely. And I find that if I don't do that, if I don't write it down or record it or do something, then I spend too much time when I finally do sit down again, trying to remember what I was right. trying to remember. And I, I, that's a time waster for me. And it, yeah. yeah, so I think I think doing that, making the note is, yeah, I agree with you. It is. I do think for writers with who are parents that we are much more efficient in our writing, or at least a lot of the writers I know who are parents are. It's like, we know we have maybe 10, 15 minutes here and there, or, you know, like your time becomes very precious in a different way when you're a parent um, and a writer. And so I don't have the luxury of, you know, sitting around sipping my coffee, dreaming about all of my characters and then like sitting down <laughs> and writing the, like, I'm like, okay, I've got a half hour, let's pound it out and then we'll fix it later. And, and so I've become much more of a efficient writer, I guess. I was, I used to be so rigid when it came to that. I had to have just the right stuff. I had to sit at just the right time and everything was neat and tidy. And oh my goodness, you have a kid, you have other things coming to your life. It's like, don't talk to me for 10 minutes. I got to whip this out, you know, and, and get something for sure that changes. And I think that's part of being a professional in any career, especially with COVID and the changes we're experiencing in, in our lifetime is we need to be agile, right? You're not always going to get the perfect conditions. You are going to be having obstacles in your life. You're going to have ups and downs in your life that are going to affect the writing work. But I think that's a difference between being a professional and not, right? You still come yes. to work. Does that editing help your, your fiction? Does that make you a better writer? Does it take away from your creative juice? Do you think, how does that play into it? Um, so I used to have my, my job before this one was working on a magazine as well, but it was more of, of writing. So I was writing these longer features and, um, and a lot of that involved interviewing and, you know, crafting and editing and stuff that was hard on my creative work because writing as you know is a much different animal than editing someone else's work they're both you know hard and they do take creative energy but for me working on feature length articles and then coming home and trying to write fiction was really tough so I actually really love my job now because it is I'd say 90 some percent editing and I can do that it's just a different hat for me to put on and it doesn't take away from that creative energy of of actually writing fiction. Mm -hmm. So I do enjoy it because it's also, you know, it's still similar to obviously what I love and what I'm, I'm working with words and I'm making sentences nicer and all that. So it's related, but it's different enough that I don't feel like it's interfering. Have you always been in this realm of, of reading, creating, writing, editing? Has it been a drive since you were young or? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, since high school, I was writing short stories and I was on the literary magazine for my high school. Um, when I 
went to college, I actually thought I wanted to be a lawyer because I was always interested in like these courtroom dramas and trials. I found it very interesting. And then I realized that like, I don't actually like speaking in front of people and I'm not actually that great at persuading people things. <laughs> like, I was like, well, I don't think I really want to do that. And I know there are other types of lawyers out there who never do that, but I was like, that's not interesting to me. Like, I don't want to do that. So, um, I was an English major in college and I was like, this is what I want to do. My first job was a newspaper at a newspaper. I was like a feature reporter for a like little local uh, weekly insert into a daily paper. That's, That's where I started I too. I started at community journalism and honestly, it was one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. It's it was, great, isn't it? I you loved the, it. I loved oh my it. God. I met the most quirky people and it's just I, I have definitely been inspired by some of the people I've met, like, like that they've ended up somehow in my fiction. Yeah. So, it's great yeah, character it's, building, it's really cool. right? You, it's you learn all your, I was in all kinds of different worlds and, yeah. and it, it's really something I, I love the job. I could go on and talk forever because it's really something to be around people who want to talk what they're excited about. And those are the kind of jobs I got to do. I would go out and interview people who were, were passionate because they were in trouble or they were doing some great job and they were passionate about or some sport. It was, it was awesome for my work. You're right. That's it. Actually, that's like been a lot of my career is interviewing people who are excited about something that they're doing. Cause I love it. As I worked at uh, George Mason University and I was in like media relations. So my job was interviewing a lot of professors about their work and trying to like translate their work, like especially like science mm -hmm. stuff into like stuff the general public would be interested in. And it's just so fun to see people geeking out about, about things mm -hmm. that they're passionate about and uh, yeah, I, I, I very much enjoyed that. Enjoyed I think job. that about fiction work too. If you can't be caught up in the ideas that are showing up in your book or your work, and, and that doesn't mean it's always easy, but yeah, geeking out is the, is the good thing. There has to be some draw, I think, that gets you excited about what you're working on. And, uh, and you can create that in your life. You know, they know inspiration. Now research says inspiration is a product of the things we surround ourselves with. It's, it's not a flash, it's a condition. And we, we can't make it happen, but we can create the conditions around ourselves that lead to inspiration. I think people are a good way of getting to that. I want to talk, we're going to take a break in just a minute, but I want to touch on basically your two writing careers. I've heard you say in other interviews that your heart is in flash fiction and yet you're writing these award-winning novels. Talk about that. How does one go from the shortest of all stories to writing these 300 page novels? How is that transition for you? I'm not sure how that works actually, <laughs> because I don't think I do very good with this, but uh, yeah, so I love flash fiction and I love, I don't know, I love seeing a story on one page and being able to see the whole story in, in this one little tiny thing and really working with language and really playing around with description and stuff. And I edited a flash fiction journal for about 10 years so I was reading a ton of it and writing a ton of it. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And I always thought of novels as these like ginormous, impossible things. And it wasn't until I realized that like, oh, maybe I can take what I like about Flash and apply it to a novel, right? Like they could be very short chapters. It could be experimental. Um, that didn't work either, <laughs> to be honest. Um but 
I think it's just a different way. You just have to train your brain differently. Um, I have not quite figured out how to write a novel without driving myself insane. <laughs> Unfortunately, people don't people don't buy flash fiction collections, you know, I mean, whether that's an editor or an agent or a publisher or readers, like it's just not, there's not a demand for it. And if, so if you wanted to, you know, I wanted to be, to see where I could go professionally with my writing career. And I love crime fiction. I love suspense and like, okay, well, I'll try to write that because people do buy that. People do read that. Um, and and so that's kind of why I took that direction. If well, I it seems write... to be working. It, people are yeah. buying your books and they are great. Yeah. So, Do you still write Flash? I can't, I haven't written a Flash story in a long time. I, I tend to not be able to do multiple projects. Like if I'm working on my novel, I have said this before, I feel like I have to like take a deep breath and then just submerge into mm. it. And it's like, I can't, my brain can't, work on other stories like I have ideas for things and I'll write them down in a notebook and then if there's like a break or like a part where I'm like okay I'm turning this in and now I have freedom to do something else I'll do that but I can't just like today write a, a short story and then go back to my novel part of that is because I just don't have the time like as we talked sure. about before like I have this hour you know whatever amount of time a day I need to be working on the book that's due. And um, so that's part of it. But it's also hard, I think, to to go from thinking about a story in such a long, you know, trail to thinking about something very short. They're just very different. We're going to take a quick break on Simply Write with Polly and Tara Laskowski today. And when we come back, Tara, I want to talk about some of the craft aspects of that. Touch a little more on the differences between uh, flash and, and novel writing and uh, get to the nuts and bolts a little bit of the writing practice. We're right here on the Creators Network of Electrocast with Simply Write with Polly. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. And we are back. This is Simply Right with Polly on the Creators Network of Electricast. And we are here with award-winning novelist and short fiction writer, Tara Laskowski. And we were getting into the nuts and bolts a little bit of your flash fiction writing and the novel writing. Just for the sake of me and my education, is flash fiction determined strictly by the length? Is, is that the main differential or is there more to it than that? Um, I think that's the main differential uh, for, I, I edited Smoke Long Quarterly and our cutoff was a thousand words or less. Okay. Um, I've heard it go up to 1500, but I think once you get over a thousand, it starts to feel more like a short story to me. Um, I could get into the nuances of what I feel like when I say feels more like a short story. Um, but to me, flash fiction is more like there's this 
driving sense of urgency to the story. Like it's, it's either driven by language or it's driven by some, I don't know, metaphor or central theme or something. And it feels like it's driving forward in a way that you like have to follow it almost. Like at one point, one time I said, I felt like it was like this drum beat that you're like, Mm. you know, like pulling forward. And And I like a lot of that is like, when you read a short story, I feel like you're settling down, right? You're getting into these characters. You're like learning things as they go. And with Flash, you don't have that luxury of unfurling things like the way you would a traditional short story. It almost feels like you have to just, you have to like jump right into it. It's like, you're this, this story is moving along. And at one point you're there and like, you're just being carried along with it. If that makes sense. This sounds very like strange to me as I'm saying it, but, but that's what, that's how I felt about it. So like when I was reading flash, I, you know, I'm reading a ton in the slush pile or the submission pile. I hate that term slush pile, (laughs) but the way that a story would catch me is if I had to keep reading, like I just had to, because of the beautiful language or the interesting character or some like kind of theme thing that they've pulled through. And so that's, that's sort of my very strange definition of what Flash is. When you're conceptualizing your novels, are you looking at an overarching theme for the length of that book? Is there some message or story you want to tell? Or are you really writing per scene or per chapter just to drive the protagonist through the... Um, with my novels, I usually actually start with a setting. I, I need to know where this book is going to be. And what it looks like and how I could get people into trouble in it. And so for me, the setting is super important. Like I need to like have this, even before the characters, like I just need to know, to know where it is. And then I can form a story around it and put the right people in it. So for One Night Gone, it was this idea of a beach town in the off season. I always found that so interesting. Like who are people who live there year round and how do they feel about the fact that all these people come in in the summer and then everybody leaves and things shut down and it's very quiet and it was was somewhat creepy to me and also like calming and soothing. And so I thought that would be a really interesting place to set. Yeah, I'm reading that now. And I grew up in that beach town on the West Coast. And I really relate to that. And I love the the off season at the beach. I mean, that was our favorite time of year. But yeah, I'm thinking about it differently now since I'm reading your book. And I really felt that. I felt the, the details you chose to articulate, to express the beach house itself, the town, some of the local, the towny characters. I, I thought that was really effective. And so when you said I start with a setting, I could see that right away because I was launched into the mood of the book because of the set, the way you described the setting, I felt like. Oh, thanks. And the cool thing about that book was I also, I have, as you know, dual timelines. So I've got the present day is during the off season, but then I have this past timeline that's during the height of the summer. So I actually got to write about this place in both, you know, seasons, which was really fun because I, the, 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 that beach became a character in itself, really. Well, that was my question I had for you. Did you, do you look at your settings then 
if they're that strong and that prevalent in each of your books, do you look at the setting as a character? Do you address it in kind of the same way? Yeah, absolutely. So my second book is like set in the sort of upper middle class suburbs, like cul-de-sac. And that, I wrote that book when we shut down, like for the COVID. And I think there's like a claustrophobic feeling to that book because (laughs) I'm home, everybody's home. It's like scary time. And the whole book is basically set on this cul-de-sac. Like they don't really leave. Like, I mean, obviously they leave, but like, as in what I'm writing about, like they're there and, um, and they, like their houses face each other. So like they can look out and see everyone else. And, um, and it's during Halloween. So like, there's this idea of, you know, the days are getting shorter and there's this creepy holiday coming up. And, um, and that also kind of becomes a character too. So yeah, definitely. I love thinking about all of those elements. One thing I like about novels is you can introduce all those different layers, which I find it's really interesting how writers think about that and how that's conveyed because sometimes I'm thinking about stuff in my own writing and I never have a sense of if the reader even picks that up but I think it creates layers or tension in the in the novels which which they do feel they may not know why we're doing it that way or even that we're doing it but I think that's Mm -hmm. really valuable are you working on something now are you working on another novel I am um it's called the weekend retreat coming out the day after Christmas, actually. So December 26th, um, I'm finishing it up now. And that one's set at this uh, very rich family's estate. And they also own a winery. So it's kind of this winery slash estate in upper state New York. Very creepy atmosphere. So. Wineries, I think they are creepy. Can Do you go out and research? Right? Do you immerse yourself? Yeah, they're all dark and they're all... yes. yes. No, I'm with you. And like, there's that. something about like those like rows of vineyards and like your cell phone Isolated. never works out there, you know, yep. that kind of And thing. all the but... vines are all craggy and yes, yes. I'm with you. See? I'm there. I'm and already as chills. far as research, it was very <laughs> difficult to go out to wineries. And yeah, drink I'm sure wine that's hard, research. huh? It was really tough. Hey, it, just, but, you just hate your suffering on this. Yeah. <laughs> So you better choose your next location in Hawaii or something. So you'll have to go research that too. Yeah, I get you. That's, that's a tough life. That brings us to the what's in the dust segment, which because I'm a total nerd is my favorite segment of the show. I love paper and office supplies and pens and all the coffee mugs and stuff we have to have to do our job. What's in the dust for you, Tara? Is there anything you like to have around you when you're writing? So the way I'm going to answer this is the one thing that I have bought for myself that I have, that I do not regret at all buying in terms of writing is a very, very good printer. I bought one of these like big sort of not industrial, but you know, like that prints out bunches of paper. um, And it's just a beautiful thing because I like to print out my manuscripts and I like to write on paper notes and stuff but I didn't want to have to go to like a copy place every time I needed to do that and and the regular home printers they just either take for freaking ever or there's so much ink used you know that kind of thing so I went and I got this pretty good printer that prints fast and can print a lot of paper you could put like a whole 
ream of paper in it, you know, and just like print it out. And it's been a lovely thing. I save all the printouts. Like if there's a blank page on the back, I'm like, give that to me. That's my scrap paper for the next time. Yep. Now, what Um, do you print it out? Do you you print it out in the middle of your process so you can read it aloud to yourself also? Or is it mostly so you do your editing on the page? It's, uh, I don't read out loud. I know people say you should, and I probably should, but that would just take forever. And I think I would get annoyed with hearing myself. But I do print it in different font and different size just to make it look different. Because when I have gone over something for so long, it starts to just, I get too close to it. Mm-hmm. And I can trick myself a little bit if I've got it printed on the page and if it's a different font. And I like to have pens with pretty colored ink to make notes and write and stuff like that. So that's why I do it. It's just a different way of looking at it. I just had a conversation with another writer, a friend of mine a couple days ago, who is struggling with the printer situation. So she's contemplating the same thing. That makes I right now I send my stuff out to like a print shop, you know, I'll send it and then go pick it up. And it's a pain. And I don't, you're right. I, my printer at home at the home office is too slow and too expensive to, to run that way. So the actual ink cartridge is expensive, but it lasts a long time and you get a lot of pages printed. So, I mean, this is like any other job at some point you have to have the tools around you so you can be efficient and get the work done. Right. Yes. Yeah, and we got to take it seriously so we can get the work done. Well, it's been a pleasure having you here. You have a book coming out day after Christmas. What's that called? Do we have a title yet? It's called The Weekend Retreat. Okay, pre-orders, I imagine, will be coming up in a few months, right? Nope, They're already, it's already available oh, for pre-order. Wow, life is moving way too fast <laughs> for me. All right, pre-order it now so you have a gift for yourself or your friends right around Christmas time. That makes sense. I'll read it for sure. Tara, where can we find you and more about your work and what you have coming up? So I'm at www.taralaskowski.com. Um, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. My Instagram is at Tara L Writes. All right. We'll, we'll track you down and I'll put those links in my column at simplywrite.substack.com. You can find what I'm working on. You can also go to polycampbell.com and find me there. Judy Bloom says, yeah, you know, and I gotta, I gotta derail myself for a minute because I pulled this quote from Judy Bloom. The site, although I found it a couple of times attributed to her, they spelled her name wrong. And that drives me crazy. If you're gonna quote, one of the most famous authors of all time. Please, 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 people, spell her name right. Anyhow, this quote is from Judy Bloom, and she says, the first draft is a skeleton, just the bare bones. The rest of the story comes later with revising. Think that over this week, writers, and get the work done. Sit down and simply write. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling, styles, representation, the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric acid.
Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Electric acid.